Let us pray. <clears throat> Holy Father, we thank you once again for the health that you've given us and the mind to be able to assemble together in worship, to think about you, and hopefully have a better understanding of the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. We long for the day when all of the saints shall be gathered together and everyone will see eye to eye. We'll all be glorified. There'll be no sin, no sickness, no death. There'll be nothing to get in to get in the way of worshiping you. Yes. We don't know what we shall be. We don't know what it's going to be like. And the little bit that you give us in your word seems to be beyond our the our greatest understanding. In other words, the greatest understanding that we have of the future glory world, no doubt, is very, 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 very small compared to the reality of it all. Help us to be able to say with the Apostle Paul as we live out our lives upon this earth to live as Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we left off in the paper that we mentioned uh, that we read uh, back in October of 21, and we were reading from John Gill's Body of Divinity, and we read, uh, first of all, from his book 2, chapter 5, and we want to take up now and read from book 6, Chapter 9 of Gill's Body of Divinity. <clears throat> After a brief introduction and summary regarding adoption 
as an eternal and eminent act of God as discussed in Book 2, Chapter 5, from which we previously quoted, Gill considered adoption, quote, as openly bestowed upon believing in Christ and as manifested, applied, and evidenced by the Spirit of God. End of quote. Again, we will quote somewhat at length while trying to provide a brief overview uh, or outline of the application of adoption with reference to the passages in Romans and Galatians. Prior to taking up this part of the subject and giving a brief statement showing that adoption is distinct from justification and pardon, Gill wrote, Quote, a subject may be acquitted by his sovereign from charges laid upon him and a criminal convicted and condemned may be pardoned yet does not become his son. If adopted and taken into his family, it must be by a distinct and fresh act of royal favor. In other words, showing that uh, pardon is not the same as adoption. <clears throat> After Gill discussed some things, uh, wherein civil adoption and spiritual adoption agree and disagree, he considers, one, the causes of adoption, two, the objects of adoption, Three, the nature and excellency of the privilege of adoption. And four, the effects of adoption. <clears throat> Under the causes of adoption, he lists the efficient cause, which is God, and then the moving cause of adoption, which is the love, grace, free favor, and goodwill of God. The objects of adoption are those who are the objects of the love of God, the children of God, the chosen of God, the redeemed, the believers, those who live so that they become the sons of God, discussing the nature and excellency of the privilege of adoption Gill enlarges on the various benefits and blessings that are enjoyed by those adopted. In closing, by considering the effects of adoption, Gill gives the following, which I will, uh, which are five points. In other words, this is talk. This is closing out on his section on the. Effects of adoption. One, a share in the pity, compassion, and care of God. Their Heavenly Father, who is, excuse me, their Heavenly Father, who as a father pities his children. So he pities them that fear him and reverence him as their father. In all their afflictions, he is afflicted and sympathizes with them and delivers them out of all their troubles when they are in want of 
whatsoever kind and particular particularly of food he supplies them and for which they are encouraged to ask it of him as children of their parents so our father reasons if a son then in other words if a son then he's going to feed him from uh, Luke chapter 11 verses 11 through 13 in other words if your son he's going to give you the benefits that are asked. Two, access to God with boldness. In other words, since we are adopted, one of the effects is that we have access to God with boldness. They can come to Him as children to a father. Use freedom with Him. Tell Him all their complaints and wants. And come boldly to the throne of grace and ask grace and mercy to help them in times of need. Third, one of the effects conformity to the image of Christ the firstborn among many brethren which is begun in this life and will will be perfected in that to come when the sons of God shall be like him and see him as he is for the spirit of adoption given to testify their sonship to them for because they are sons god sends forth the spirit of his son into their hearts crying abba father galatians 4 4 and 6 and then fifth heirship for if children then heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ romans eight seventeen, heirs of the grace of life heirs of a kingdom of an inheritance most glorious to which they are entitled and for which they are made meet by the grace of God. Now that's our conclusion of reading with regard to John Gill. Now I want to direct our attention to an article written several years ago by Elder J.D. Shane. I knew Brother Shane back in the 60s and early 70s uh, and he uh, has gone on to be with the Lord and for anybody that might want to know the full uh, article that Brother Shane wrote on adoption they might find that on mountzionpbc.org website but now through the rest of the article paper that I'm going to be reading, I'm going to be reading from Brother Shane. Adoption is so obviously by grace that it proves conflicting in any system of salvation by works that any or all men could devise. Therefore, they leave it entirely out of their preaching. And may I further suggest by the why the ministers who believe and advocate the doctrines of grace mention it so rarely. They seem to have no clear concept as to its position or significance in the economy of grace. Some hold that adoption comes with or is accompanied with regeneration while others hold that it is manifested only in the resurrection. Some hold that adoption applies to the body only, 
while the soul of man is born again in regeneration and takes on a spiritual change, the body remains natural but is admitted into the service of God by virtue of adoption. But as they differ so widely on the real and proper application of the term, I can come to but one conclusion, and that is, there was and is a lack of proper understanding of the term among men. In my opinion, none of the aforementioned positions are correct in the light of the Scriptures. While it may sound presumptuous for me to say so, I think these various opinions have grown and will continue to grow out of a failure to recognize the fundamental element of adoption in the theme of grace and hence the failure to ascertain its real nature and meaning in common scriptural usage. After defining adoption from various sources, Brother Shane selected the American College Dictionary definition number two as follows. In other words, the definition for adoption, to take another child as one's own by a specific legal act of law. And then Brother Shane continues, quote, Let us now note the order in which adoption is effected. First, there must be a decision or purpose to have an heir or heirs to one's estate. In Ephesians 1.11, this is clearly expressed, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Second, the choice or selection of those who are to be heirs. Ephesians 1.4, according as he has chosen us in him. And then third, the estate described which the heirs are to inherit. Ephesians 1.3, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Fourth, a court or tribunal of law of competent jurisdiction to confirm and publish the decree of adoption, naming the adopter as the heir or heirs and describing the legacy they are to inherit. Read Ephesians 1.5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. After explaining the legal aspects of adoption, which he addressed God's foreknowledge, his eternal purpose to adopt, his choice of those to be adopted, and his predestinating them to sons by adoption, he proceeded to unfold the doctrine as revealed in scriptures in, yeah, of the New Testament. Then he gave the following regarding the principle of adoption. Now I quote from Brother Shane again. But before we take up the consideration of the other passages in the New Testament bearing on the subject, we will emphasize two points that are necessary to the proper understanding of the subject. These two points are the nature of adoption 
and the proceedings necessary to accomplish or complete it. First, the nature of adoption is to take a child that is not a child by birth and by an act in law make it a legal heir. Please remember this. Only legal relations are established by adoption. Never vital or blood relation. In other words, adoption is a legal relationship, not a vital one. <clears throat> so in adoption, only title to and right of an estate is conveyed. It cannot convey a fitness or a likeness of nature. It makes one an heir to a home, but does not prepare one for the society or life of the home. The principle of adoption was practiced on a national scale by the government of Israel. They admitted Gentiles to come under the government of Israel as adopted sons. The adopted Gentiles could enjoy most of the blessings and privileges of the national Israelites, but adoption could not make an alien Gentile, excuse me, could not make the alien Gentiles so admitted natural or national Jews. It could not remove the alien blood in the adopted Gentiles and give them the royal blood of the seed of Abraham. From these facts, it must be clear to the reader that adoption constitutes only legal relationship and does not convey a likeness of nature. You can you can adopt, excuse me, you could adopt a Negro child, but you could not make it white. You could adopt a Chinese child, but you could not put Anglo-Saxon life in its bloodstream. So you see, you, you can change the, the, the relationship, but you cannot change the uh, the character. In other words, you can make uh, an adopt a, a person adopted, give it a legal status, but you cannot change the nature of that person by adopting it. As we'll see, that comes in regeneration with the child of grace. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead. Continuing quoting Brother Shane. As before pointed out, there must be first the decision or purpose to adopt an heir. Second, to select or choose the heir. Third, to define and pledge estate to the heir. Fourth, to apply, uh, apply to a court of law to validate your acts and intentions on behalf of the heir by the decree of adoption. Fifth, we come now to the last and final steps 
in completing the process of adoption, and that is to gather all the heirs from every clime, country, tribe, and nation, and conduct them safely to that heavenly home which they have inherited. Before enlarging on this, Brother Shane describes what he calls the incredible and incomprehensible obstacles and difficulties that must be removed or overcome before the heir can be admitted to that home of eternal joys. Then he proceeds to show the fallen and depraved condition of adopted through adopted through the fall of Adam and how they are redeemed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Then he proceeds to show that the redemption is work that that the redemption is work applied experimentally to them. He summarizes as follows. Quote, these are the adopted heirs that will hear and live. So the Father and Son have each testified that the work of giving life, cleansing, sanctifying, and calling must go forward to reach each and every heir by adoption, making them to be living, vital, quickening heirs by being born again into the family of God. Then they will know that God has ever been their father by adoption, that he is now their father by the new birth, wherein they have received his spirit and been made partakers of the divine nature, whereby they cry, Abba, Father. In closing, I will allow again uh, to exercise your patience by giving a rather lengthy part of his article. In fact, from what I'm reading to the end is from Brother Shane. Now please turn to Galatians 4, 1 through 6. There Paul reminds us that a child, though an heir, does not possess his inheritance but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, children by adoption, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Here Paul likens our state as adopted sons as being unregenerate and still under bondage of sin in nature to the under underage child that is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. So, just as the natural, natural father appointed a time to liberate their heirs from the limitations of childhood, the father of heavenly adoption has appointed a day when he will, will, will release his adopted children from the rudiments of the world by regeneration, the new birth, or being quickened and made new creatures in Christ. To argue that adoption comes in or with the new birth is to press a point that has no example of human or divine affairs. 
What good could accrue to one by adoption that is already a child or heir by birth? Where is there a law, human or divine, that provides for a parent to adopt his own child? There is none. Now to answer the last, and I think the final question on this point, we will consider the fifth verse in this chapter which reads, to redeem, that is in, from Galatians, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. With a casual reading of this passage, one might be inclined to understand that this is the point where the sons were adopted. But a careful look will convince us that this could not be the case. The verse does not read that we might be adopted as sons, but that we might receive the adoption of sons. Adopted is a verb which expresses action, state, or being. That's adopted is a verb. Adoption is a noun and is the name of a thing or an object. So here they receive a thing, and that thing was adoption. So adoption existed before this point, even before the world was. And so the sixth verse reads, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So because you are sons by adoption, God sends the Spirit of Jesus Christ into your hearts, making you vital, living, born-again sons. And now you are not only sons by adoption, but you are sons by birth and brought into vital relationship with God. And now you gladly, humbly, and joyfully call Him our Father. So as the adopting father who adopts an heir that abides in a place distant from where he intends the heir to live, sends a son or servant to see the new heir reaches his home in safety. Even so God the Father sends his only son from the heavenly world into this sin-blighted and ruined world to gather his adopted children from all walks and conditions of life from nations and climes. First, He redeems them. Then He quickens them into eternal life, changing their wicked and hateful hearts into hearts that love Him and cry out for Him, turning their ways from the downward paths of destruction to start on their journey home. Can you not in your imagery see them as they start on this heavenly journey? Some as mere children from the playground, some from the dark alleys of hopeless despair, some from the grog shops and houses of infamy and shame, some from the leper colonies, some from the prison house. Yes, I can see a poor blind man groping in physical darkness, but lighted inside with a torch of light that will never be extinguished. He is on his way home calling out, Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The cripple at the gate, the daughter of Abraham, who is bound in fetters by Satan, is released from her fetters and joins the choir of heavenly praise. Yes, 
I can see the proud Pharisee bow his arrogant and defiant head to his Lord of lords and say in humble plaintive tones, Lord, who art thou? And what will thou have me to do? We could go on and on in our imagery until this apparent trickle of human misery at the beginning swells into a courtless throng, pressing onward and upward in their journey home. And the beauty of this is not one will fall by the wayside and be left to perish. Every adopted son must appear in the holy city of the new Jerusalem because he who started them on this journey will never quit their side. And so we now come to the last text to be considered in this article, Romans 8.23. And we read these heavenly words. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. If we should contend that we are adopted in regeneration, we would also have to by the same rule, contend that we are adopted in the resurrection of our bodies. But as in Galatians, the noun form is used as it is in Romans. In this text, Paul points out the glorious end of adoption, which is the resurrection and glorification of our bodies. Then shall we appear before Him holy and without blame before Him in love. Here the Lord that has brought His adopted brethren from the deepest depths of degradation, shame, and ruin will present them to the Father in spotless purity, clothed in celestial apparel, of fine needlework and wrought gold, which is His perfect righteousness. And here... They will outshine all sons and be sublimely fitted for the royal society of the courts of their king. Thus in the jubilance of eternal victory of their Lord and King over death, the grave and the awful plague of sin, they will join that song of triumph, Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So, adoption, like election and predestination, in the primary sense, was before time began. While election, predestination, and adoption did not affect the heirs when the Lord acted in these matters, these acts did provide for the heirs in the ages to come when they would receive the things provided. The things provided and described as all spiritual blessings in heavenly places and are particularly mentioned as redemption, reconciliation, justification, and the new birth or regeneration, sanctification, faith, repentance, love, hope, peace, joy, preservation, resurrection, and finally glorification. All these things are made sure and secure in the covenant of mercy. In the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul defines the eternal phase of adoption. In the fourth chapter of Galatians, he defines the time phase when we as heirs begin to experience the glorious riches of it. When the spirit of adoption comes to us, we begin to know and feel 
that the Lord hath provided sweet and precious things for us here and hereafter. In the 8th chapter of Romans, Paul points out the final and last phase of adoption. If possible, this is the sweetness of all. At the last great day, our poor, weak, worn out, and worm-eaten bodies at His command will arise bone to bone, limb to limb, in flawless perfection and eternal beauty will do honor and praise to Him who through love unbounded, suffering, tears, and death has brought us safely home. We preach much about election and predestination. And we rarely mention adoption. Yet we preach adoption every time we preach election and predestination. Many people object to election and predestination when preached, but never raise an eyebrow when we, when we preach adoption. And yet we cannot preach the truth of adoption without preaching election and predestination. So brethren, speak more about the truth of adoption and you will have God's children rejoicing in all of them. That's the end of the paper. And we'll stop there today. But, uh, we won't go on any further. But I hope that's been somewhat profitable and beneficial to you. Not only in a spiritual way and the sweetness of the subject that God is going to bring His children home. He not only just changes our state, but He changes our nature too in regeneration and brings us unto Him ultimately in glorification. Believer, that's the sweetness of adoption. God has called you to know this truth, to enjoy the truth of it. But also that you might enjoy the, and, and, and not only enjoy, but uh, know the, the theology of it. That adoption is not justification. Adoption does not come at faith. Adoption was in God before the world began. We receive it by faith. We receive it experimentally in our heart, in our conscience, in our souls by faith. But we were not adopted when we believed. We were adopted in eternity. We received the adoption when we believe. So that's the message. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank You for these men that we have read who are dead yet continues to speak. We wish we had the, the mind and the tongue of some of these men, but we do not. But we thank You that they have left their writings that we might gleaned from them. 
Now, my God, I ask that you would bless the message that has been delivered this day, not only to give glory and honor unto you that is justly due, but that it would strengthen, enliven the hearts of those who hear. In Jesus' name. Amen.